Welcome, Bertrand Picard. It's great to have you here on, on our uh, podcast to discuss your plans and your uh, foundation and what you have achieved so far, but also an outlook, what's next. And I would like to start with a look at the global situation. We're in a very special time with the war in the Ukraine, with the energy uh, discussion we have. And uh, it seems to me that it's a comparable situation that we face right now as a mankind with the energy side, with lack of energy uh, that you had when you started your solar impulse project. I'm very keen to learn from you. I mean, how do you assess the situation when we look at the energy situation right now? Yes. Hello, Reto. Uh, you, you are absolutely right to make this comparison. You know, when I initiated the solar impulse project to fly around the world in a solar-powered airplane, the big specialist in the world of aviation told me it was impossible because the sun would not give enough energy to fly day and night with an airplane. And this is the paradigm of our world. It's always production. If we cannot produce enough, it will not work. And it should be the opposite. If we don't have enough production, instead of producing more, we should be more efficient to save, to consume less. And actually, this is what we did with Solar Impulse, coping with the energy the sun was giving in order to fly day and night with a plane that was efficient. When you see the situation with the war in Ukraine now today in Europe, what do we see? Less gas, less oil coming from Russia. And the first reaction of everybody is to desperately try to find another supplier for the production instead of saying, let's be efficient. Let's save. Let's use new technologies. Let's stop to waste energy with outdated and inefficient infrastructures and systems. And actually, it's the same with the food crisis, because the war in Ukraine also gives a food crisis. But half of the food produced in the world is lost between production and consumption. So we see that here also we need to take the measures to stop the waste. Our world is a world of waste, and this is the problem. It's the problem for the economy, it's the problem for the supply, it's the problem for, uh, for, for, for the environment. So what you're saying is we have enough supply if we are more efficient uh, with the supply that we have and the technologies are already there. Is that what you're saying? Yes. You, you know, in terms of energy, we waste three quarters of the energy that is produced. Three quarters. Just because our systems are inefficient. Uh, a thermal engine is 27% efficient when the electric engines of solar impulse were 97% efficient. And it's the same for everything. The heating systems, it's a disaster. The lighting systems, it's 5% efficient compared to the LED lamps that are 95% efficient. So we see that basically what we need to do in our world is to modernize everything not decrease our quality of life, not decrease the economical growth, but decrease the production, consumption, and waste system, which is linear. And if we replace and modernize all the infrastructures, the production we have will be more than enough, even too much. And then we can even reduce the production, and this will be good for the environment, but it will also be good for the profit margin. If you stop losing so much natural resources, energy, food, and so on, your margin will be bigger at the end, 
which will allow you to pay for the upfront investment. So basically, if we speak in terms of, of economic, instead of having a GDP that is coupled with the quantity of the consumption, we're going to have a GDP coupled with the quality of the efficiency. And this is a change in the economic, but it will be beneficial for the environment, but it will be beneficial also for the profit of the industries, and it will open new business opportunities. Protecting the environment is a new business opportunity. If you look, all the systems that allow to recover the heat from the chimney of the factories, that allow to produce heating systems or cooling systems with geothermia, that allow to produce construction stones and gravel with demolition waste or with uh, unrecycled uh, unrecycled households, household uh, waste in the cities and uh, sleepers for railways uh, with old tires. You know, everything has a function. And today, we are not understanding all the functions that we can give to this system. So, I mean, your arguments are very logic and are very rational. And even though we're still not there and we're losing time, so, I mean, how can we make that possible? Where is the leverage? Do we have to change the political framework? Do we have to change the incentives? Do we have to change the prices? I mean, where is the leverage and, and how can we make that possible? In the past, the solutions were not existing. Then the solutions existed, but they were too expensive. What I have proven with the Solar Impulse Foundation is that there are more than a thousand solutions available today, existing and economically profitable. And I thought it would be enough. <laughs> but, but you know what is not enough is the fact that the legal framework is based on old infrastructures. So it is allowed to pollute. It is allowed to put as much CO2 as you want in the atmosphere. So a lot of people tell you, well, you accuse me of polluting, but I respect the, the norms. I respect the law. What I do is legal. Mm -hmm. So this has to change. We need incentives in the regulation. But more than that, there are a lot of regulations that prevent the new systems to come on the market. For example, in the public procurements, a lot of countries do not allow completely new innovative systems to come because uh, they don't know the systems. It is disturbing the habits of everyone. So they used very established technologies that are old, that are inefficient. Mm -hmm. And what we need, for example, is to have the legal framework allowing much more innovative solutions in the public uh, procurement. And also to take into consideration the total cost of ownership instead of only the upfront investment. Because if you buy a diesel bus, of course it is cheaper when you buy it. When you make a badly constructed house, it's cheaper at the beginning. But compared to an electric bus or compared to a uh, well-insulated house, well, over time, the polluting system is more expensive. And the clean and efficient system will reimburse the upfront investment and make a profit. Mm -hmm. This is something that we need to introduce also in all the mindset of the people who are making public procurement, private procurements, who are working with, with infrastructures. Otherwise, we will be locked in with old infrastructures for 50 more years 
instead of having new efficient infrastructures that will allow us to save resources and save money. So what you're saying is we need to change the, the legal framework. You're a global citizen to some extent, traveling a lot, have uh, a lot of uh, global relationships. I mean, where do you see Europe uh, in that context compared to Asia or, or North America or even Switzerland? In I North mean, America, yeah, in North America, it's a topic that comes into the political cleavage. And this makes it very difficult because it's a dogma. If you believe in climate change or protection of the environment, you're a Democrat. If you don't believe, you're, you are a Republican. But the problem is that science is much above the political parties. Your question is, is interesting. What is different in Europe? In Europe, you have the European Commission with people who are not elected directly by the population. It's a two-level or three-level sometime election, which means that the European commissioners are much more free to introduce ambitious reforms. And uh, some of these reforms are quite interesting. For example, the, the, the Green Deal. The Green Deal is using the economic recovery to push the new technologies, the clean technologies, the Uh, renewable energies and, and things like that. So it's not perfect, I know. Uh, but they are making quite a good job in terms of changing the old habits in terms of, of, of technologies. I would like to focus now on, on the Solar Impulse Foundation and what you have started and kicked off there, which seems to be really a, a broad movement now. And can you please very short describe for our readers what your intention is and where you stand uh, with uh, you know, the, the projects that you have in the foundation? Uh, the first part of the work of the Solar Impulse Foundation was to fly around the world in a solar-powered airplane in order to prove that new technologies and uh, clean energies could achieve impossible goals. Once it has been done, what happened? It gave us more credibility, more influence, more performance. The Solar Impulse Foundation was well recognized. And uh, that's the moment I chose to launch the second challenge, which was to identify more than 1,000 solutions that would be economically profitable to protect the environment. And fortunately, everybody told me it was impossible at the beginning. And I like that because when you are in an impossible challenge, the people that are joining you are pioneers. There are people who are excited by the challenges. They are skilled people. You know, they come with all their talents, all their potential, and they say, we're going to make it happen. And it's exactly what, 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 what happened. Uh, in uh, April 2021, we reached the goal of 1,000 solutions. Now we are at 1,404 solutions because we continue. We continue to welcome new solutions. Our group of 370 experts are assessing these solutions. Uh, the ones who um, are, are profitable and ecological receive the solar impulse efficient solution label. So it's a good advantage for them. And then we promote these solutions. We bring them to governments, heads of states, regions, cities, corporations, in order to accelerate their implementation. Because now, That's the goal. We have shown there are enough solutions. Now we need to implement them at every level. 
So you help them really access capital uh, to the political uh, decision makers and so on. Uh, I spoke with, uh, with an entrepreneur the other day that went through your program. And he told me, I was asking, you know, what's the benefit for you that you have now this label? Uh, and he told me that it's easier for him to attract uh, employees because they like very much, you know, that uh, his company is part of your uh, initiative. So it also seems uh, that as an employer, you, you get attractive. I'm happy to hear that because it's an additional advantage. That's true. Until now, I heard more the innovators saying that the Solar Impulse label gives them more credibility for investors, for customers. It's easier for marketing. They are better known. But here you're telling me an additional advantage that pleases me a lot. Mm -hmm. I'm happy to hear that. Because our goal is to be useful to all these innovators and to be useful to the world by bringing the innovations of all these startups to, to the users in everywhere in the world. Mm -hmm. So you have chosen a couple of sectors in the program, like uh, water, energy, building. Uh, from your perspective, I mean, which sectors uh, do have low-hanging fruits where we can move faster and then where, you know, technology readiness or so uh, are, are prepared? I would say energy and construction, uh, because, of course, mobility, people know about it. It takes some time. But construction, people don't really understand that a new construction can be energy neutral and carbon neutral. You can have almost CO2-free cement. You can make the concrete with demolishing waste. You can have insulations that makes the building energy neutral. You can have a heat pump that is using three, four times less energy than a normal uh, heating or cooling system. So you have all the domotic, you know, all the... Uh, digitalization of the house that really makes it a microgrid. So this is something that has to be done because I heard an absolutely unbelievable statement. But if you calculate, it's true. If you want to put the 2.5 billion people that are going to live in the cities until 2050, you need to build every four months, listen carefully, Every four months, you have to build a city of the size of Manhattan. It's unbelievable, but it's like this. So if you built it with dirty systems, inefficient, bad insulation, and uh, outdated heating systems, you are locked in for 50 years with dirty buildings. So you need to do it immediately in a clean way. Now, the other thing is energy. Because if you put really all the energy-efficient systems into place and you save the energy that is normally wasted, the amount of energy that you will have at the end can be provided only with renewable energy. And this is really something to understand because usually you hear wrong things like renewable energies will never be enough for the need of the world. Well, if the need of the world is still wasting three-quarters of the, of the energy, it's clear it won't work. But the needs of the world should be only one-quarter of it if you are really efficient, if you really save the energy. And then you have a lot of systems that work. It's not only solar and wind, knowing that solar is not the cheapest energy in the world. In Portugal, it's 1.5 cents per kilowatt hour. So it's fantastic. 
But it's not only solar and wind, it's also hydroelectricity. It's also biomass. It's also geothermia. And you can, for example, put very little water turbines in rivers without a dam, without destroying the life of the fishes or the, uh, the sport of the fishermen. You just produce electricity everywhere with these little turbines. Or you produce with the geothermic wells where you can get heat during the winter and you can store the heat during the summer into the ground. So all these things, it's not only carbon neutral or almost carbon neutral, it's also new business opportunities, it's investment opportunities. And uh, I don't need to explain that to you, Reto, because with Globalance, you are doing a fantastic work in terms of investment into companies who are clean or at least as clean as possible to respect the Paris Agreement. So from the 1,404 projects so far, and it really seems that this goes exponential because in April last year, 1,000, now 1,400. That's really a yes. steep curve. Uh, can you maybe take out one or two projects where you really think this is scalable, this has great potential you know, to solve some of the challenges? Yes. I love a system called Celsius that is made by Schlumberger, uh, Schlumberger being an um, ex oil exploration company. They, they drill for oil normally. And they start to diversify with geothermia. And they found a system to drill 10 holes with an angle. That means that they can take a parking slot in the center of the city, drill the holes 180 meters deep, and connect heat pumps. Not for individual houses, but for huge buildings. And they can divide by three the energy bill of the building. So it pays for the upfront investment. This is something I like very much. I like another system that is uh, collecting the household waste that, is, that are un unrecyclable, and they turn them into construction stones or into gravel. So they turn it into something useful. Um, another system I like because it's not high-tech, it's common sense. It's uh, Ecotech Ceram that is recovering the heat from the chimney of the factories in order to do something with the heat. And this is between 20 and 40% reduction in the energy bill of the, uh, of the factory. Mm -hmm. But it's also less CO2 put in the atmosphere. So at the end, it's clear that you don't have just one silver bullet. It's not one solution that's going to change the world. But the miracle is that there are so many solutions that you can use. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's what I like to call the piranha theory. If you have one piranha who wants to bite you in a river in South America, you hardly feel it because it's a small fish. But if you have 1,404 piranha who attack you at once, mm -hmm. you are a skeleton in three minutes. Mm. And this is what we have to obtain with all these solutions around the world. Each one can bite and grab a little bit of pollution, a little bit of CO2, a little bit of inefficiency. And at the end, you can have a modern and efficient and clean world. That's a great analogy. So right now, it seems that we're living in a Zeitenwende to some extent. Uh, things will, will, will change substantially, fundamentally. How does it affect your, your 1,400 companies? It will, have, you know, it will have a negative impact on the world for people who are short-minded 
and want to keep what they had before. And they're going to fight to have more oil, more gas, and so on. But for the people with which we're in contact at the foundation, it's a big incentive. Mm -hmm. Because the price of fossil energy is getting up. You have less supply. So it's a fantastic chance, an opportunity for the renewable energies. Fantastic mm -hmm. opportunity for energy efficiency. And we need in the world all of the innovators and all of the solutions that we have identified. But of course, we have to open the mind of the people and show them, look, instead of crying because you don't have enough Russian gas, start to smile because you have solutions that are much cheaper with solar, with wind, geothermia, biomass, hydroelectricity. But of course, you need to act. If you want to you have more hydroelectricity, for example, in Switzerland, you need to add uh, several meters to the dams. And you cannot afford to have green parties or protectors of nature who come and say, you are not allowed to have more dams because it damages the landscape. It's not a question of landscape. It's a question of survival of humankind. You need to put all these little water turbines in small rivers. You basically need to produce energy everywhere you can. But it's, a, it's not a revolution in technology because the technology exists. It's a revolution in the behavior and the mindset of the people. And as a psychiatrist, you know, I'm not just an explorer. I'm also a psychiatrist. And I know how difficult it is to change the mindset of people. So if you threaten them, it doesn't work. You need to give them the wish to do better. You need to give them the, the confidence. They can trust the change. They, they are, the modernization becomes a, an incentive for, for them. And this is the work we have to do. And if it's only the green activists who are doing it, it creates resistance because don't every, not everybody is trust, trusting them. But if you have finance people, industry people, economy people pushing this message forward, it is much more efficient. And the fact that you at Globalance is really speaking about sustainable investment, you cannot imagine how important it is because you are changing the mindset of the people who have the power. Yeah, I mean, Petro, I'm doing that since 27 years now, and we're now in 2022, and now it starts slowly, but it starts. So I really hope that we will not lose another generation before we, we are getting there. So, I mean, so far we have not been too fast, but uh, at least my impression and, and what you're saying is also uh, confirming that, you know, things are changing and we have so many young people that really uh, dedicate their professional life to uh, come up with solutions that really help us. Yes, absolutely. But you know, when you started 22 years ago, there were no companies in which you could invest that was really clean. Uh, today, it's different. Even the companies who were the dirtiest a few years ago are now changing very, very fast in order to be more efficient, cleaner, take the new trend, take the new business opportunities. And they do it sometimes because they have children and they want to leave a better planet to the children. But very often they understand that if they don't do it, they will disappear. Mm -hmm. They will not be in business anymore in five or 10 years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and 25 years ago, a lot of those technologies were not profitable. I mean, I recall I was driving an electric car in the 90s. I mean, it was not profitable. It was not, uh, you know, 
uh, good for the consumer because the, the range was too slow. But today, I mean, a lot of those technologies are, are very profitable. Absolutely. Profitable, sexy, trendy. You know, now people are not uh, uh, showing their swimming pool to their neighbors <laughs> or their guests. They are showing their heat pump or their solar panels. Mm -hmm. It's much more exciting. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. So, I mean, 1404 solution is a great uh, achievement. Uh, and what's next for you? I mean, you're an impatient uh, character. You always have new ideas. Is it to scale this up to 10,000 or you have another project in mind? What's next for you? So, uh, several things. Uh, first, we continue to select new solutions. They are coming regularly. We don't put a, a goal in terms of number because there can be 2,000 or 10,000. We, we will just take the, the best ones. And then we have to work to implement them. So today, we are, for example, working to suggest to the new Parliament of France 50 legal recommendations that can push the 50 best French solutions on the market. But of course, they, they need to have some changes, changes in the legal framework in order to allow these new solutions to come on the market. So it's maybe quite technical, and I'm sure you were waiting for something more spectacular, so <laughs> I have to also tell you something more spectacular. <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm planning to fly around the world with a solar airship, you know, like a Zeppelin, 150 meters, fully solar, fully clean, and also to fly with a hydrogen airplane. Because I'm really interested now by everything that can do better than what we did in the past. And with solar, with hydrogen, different type of fuels, we can also now have a big evolution in the world of aviation, in the world of adventure, of exploration. So I'm also keen to you know, to take this solar zeppelin around the world in order to make a, a big journey, an epic, mm -hmm. speaking to schools, speaking to universities, speaking to governments, to big corporations, and really spread that message, that state of mind of how important it is now to explore new ways of doing and thinking to protect the environment. So, I mean, in, in the area of cars, we have made great or we made pr progress with respect from combustion engine uh, to electric cars, and that seems now to take off and the consumers are, are buying those products. It seems that in, uh, in the industry of airplanes, that's still a long way to go. I mean, are you, are you positive that uh, you know, things will also accelerate because of technology, or is it just a more difficult uh, sector? It is more difficult in aviation, it's much more difficult to replace kerosene with batteries, for example, because you need uh, at least 10 times more batteries than the weight of kerosene in order to do the same thing. Mm -hmm. So it's difficult. But let's, let's be clear. Aviation is producing CO2, but it's between 2 and 3%. So it, we should not all focus and attack aviation and uh, forget to do uh, the rest of what we have to do. Mm. Uh, textile is 7%. Uh, cars, it's about 15%. Construction and living in buildings is 40%. So, you know, there is a big margin 
to be better everywhere. Aviation can be today 20% better. Now you have Airbus working on hydrogen airplanes for 2035, and I'm sure they will succeed because it's a brilliant company, and uh, I'm sure they will succeed. But there are already today a lot of things to be done with aviation. You need to have constant descent approach. You need to have more direct routes. You need to uh, have an electric feeding to the airplane on the airport that allows to cut the auxiliary power unit that is running all the time to keep the air conditioning and the light in the plane. So there are a lot of things we can already do, do today. Mm-hmm. And it's so difficult to obtain it. The air traffic controls, they, they don't want to change their habits, their procedures, and everything is like mm-hmm. that. So once again, it's maybe more technological for aviation than for other things, but it's also a lot of mindset and uh, old habits that has to be changed. So you're a father of three daughters, uh, and uh, I'm sure they will live in a, in a very different world, probably than what we have experienced in, in our house. So, I mean, what do you think? What will the world look like for your daughters uh, in 20, 30 years? There are several options. Either we don't change enough, and we go into a miserable life quality. Miserable, with heat waves, with droughts, with floods, with tropical disease in Europe, uh, with natural catastrophes. Uh, All this topped up with millions, hundreds of millions of uh, climate refugees. So it can be a nightmare, really a nightmare. Or we do what we have to do, not tomorrow, but today. We become efficient, we go into a circular economy, we stop to waste everything, we go into renewable energies, and, well, we do everything we have to do and everything we were talking in in this podcast. And if you do that, you will limit the damage. I don't think we can do better than uh, 1.5 degrees, I mean, of uh, increase of temperature. But this is, it's not good, but it will not destroy life on earth. And this is what we have to aim for. And actually, I don't know on which scenario we are because the the gap between what we do and what should be done is increasing every day. So if we continue like now, it's a disaster. If we implement the solutions, our children will will have a reasonably good quality of life. And what you're saying is that, you know, part of the solution is change of mindset. But that seems to be very, very difficult for, for, for many, many people because the task seems to be so, so big. But I think your example of the Piranhas really shows that everybody can be part of solution, right? We should not underestimate that. Absolutely. At every level. You know, when you heat your building at 25 degrees in winter, when it is much more healthy to heat it at 20, mm-hmm. but it's also a saving of 40% of your energy bill, not only 40% of the CO2 emissions. So I think what we need is a change of mindset, but in a positive way. We are not asking people to make sacrifice. We are not asking people to compromise on, your, on their comfort, on their quality of life. No, we can show them that they can have a better quality of life, they can do better 
They can have a better purchase power because they're going to save money and at the same time protect the environment. So it's not a sacrifice. Mm -hmm. It should be a, a fantastic vision to share with them. We have to show them that there's so much incentive to, to do it. For me, it's an exciting perspective. It's really exciting. It's not threatening at all. And it's logical. You know, it's also, it's also so logical. We, we, we just have to do it because it's common sense. Yeah, you see it, right? Others don't see it yet. And that's why it's so important that you can have such kind of presentations. Uh, you write books, you make this initiative. So uh, this is really important. And uh, maybe if you have some additional support, if there would be a good ferry coming to you, uh, you would have one wish for the next 20, 30 years to that uh, ferry. What, what would you wish? If it's a real good ferry, <laughs> I would ask her to make humans wiser, more wisdom, you know, uh, th that would be really good. Now, if it's a fairy that cannot make miracles, I would ask her to push the politicians to, to modernize the standards, the norms, the requirements for all the legal framework in order to create a need to pull the solutions on the market. Because very often, you know, with innovation, we push innovation. Mm -hmm. we, we push it with grants, incubators, uh, pitches, and things like that. But very often, it's not enough because there is not a legal need to use them. So imagine that the regulation creates with new standards, new norms, creates a need to be more efficient, to be cleaner. Then what happens? It will automatically pull all these innovations to the market and make them accessible to everyone. So this is a reasonable wish that I can, that I can make. I cannot thank you enough for this uh, very insightful and inspiring uh, podcast, Bertrand. That was really uh, very uh, insightful. And you brought that example from the piranhas. I think those are very, very important. You are leading those piranhas. And I think what we need right now is pioneers, really pioneers that can demonstrate, you know, it can work, people can follow them. And, and you're uh, really pioneering. And, and again, you have new projects. So I would like to thank you very much for all the, uh, in the name of all the piranhas that are following you. It's so important what you're doing. Thank you very much for your time and uh, good luck to all the projects that you have in mind. With pleasure, Reto. And uh, I want to congratulate you for what you are doing because you're in the world of finance and you are going into the right direction and showing the example. So I can only support you and admire what you're, what you're doing.